0: I mentioned last week that I was preparing a sermon that had probably been one of the most interesting I'd ever been involved with. This thing about our conscience. The Bible has a good bit to say about our conscience. And because the science of psychiatry was one of the latest introduced and was introduced into the public around the late 19-teens by four men who were uh, not agnostics, but they didn't believe in a God. So I've always kind of considered psychiatry as a science that if men who do not know God introduced it, what has it got for me? (laughs) So... Uh, the conscience is a part of our mentality that you cannot see. And apparently, most all of us have it. I've never met but one person who openly admitted that he had never felt bad about anything he had ever done in his life. That is the responsibility of of the conscience and a person's conscience. But it's an interesting thing as far as, it's been about three weeks now of nearly every day, and uh, I'm not near about through with the information that's in Scripture. But I hope, by what I've learned, that I can make us understand what part it plays with all of us. Because every one of us knows what the word conscience means, but then again, we don't. I mean, I would have have struggled if I had been asked before I studied what the Bible said about it to explain to somebody else exactly what a conscience was. So, let's tackle it and see what it looks like. There's something I want you to know before we start. The Bible says, and you'll see this in some of the scriptures today, the Bible says that to know who people are, we have to watch what they do. You understand me? What they do. You assess another person's closeness to Jesus by what they do, not what they say, because people can say anything. And they can mislead you by what they say, and the false teachers do that. So in order for us to figure out who we'd like to listen to and who we don't listen to is you look at what people do. And I just now had this thought, some of the people who are the most famous people who are today's preachers who have huge churches and thousands of followers live in 8 and $10 million houses. They stand up every Sunday and they say all this stuff that sounds good. But then they can't live humbly like the Jesus they claim to follow lived himself. So there is a working fact in Scripture. I've seen it probably 15 times from one end of the Bible to the other. In order to determine who is what You've got to watch what they do, not what they say. Now with that in mind, I've entitled this The Conscience, which is obvious. Present day definition in Webster's Dictionary is to have the sense of the moral goodness of one's own conduct to know and have some idea about how well you're doing based on what your conscience is telling you to do. One's own conduct, one's own intentions, or one's own character, together with a feeling of obligation to do right or to be good. Now that is today's definition of our conscience. Now, because everybody has got a different idea of what is right and what is wrong, we'll see that today in Scripture. And it explains that. But that is a description, contemporary, today's description of what is a good conscience. Not a conscience, but a good conscience. One, what, when a person has a sense of his own conduct and his intentions and his character, and understands that there is something inside of him that people call a conscience, that is trying to encourage him to do right or to be good, that is a good conscience. There's at least three other kinds of consciences that are in the Bible, and we'll look at them right now. And friend. In Titus, if you'll turn there, chapter 1, right after the Timothys, in Titus chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Titus, in verse 15, listen, Paul says unto the pure, all things are pure. That's talking about us we take for granted that somebody's okay, don't we? Until it's proven to us they're a bum, we don't believe any bad on some, most people. That's our, that's our way of living. And we try to look at the good stuff and not be negative about everything. Under the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving. Now here's what it is. Paul is calling those people, that are around us every day, that are not believers. That they are defiled because they don't believe. It's nothing pure to them, he says, where everything to you and I is pure, to them nothing's pure. Don't be surprised about anything an unbeliever might do. Even their mind and their consciences are defiled. Now that word defiled means contaminated. So all somebody, and this is the thing that keeps slapping me in the face, all that somebody has got to be to be called defiled and their conscience and their mind contaminated is not to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what my Bible says. They profess that they know God, but in works, here it comes, but in works they deny him, being abominable. Abominable is a word that designates the thing that God hates. So God hates the people who don't believe in Jesus. And disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Reprobate is a word that God uses in his scripture for a person who has a disqualified mind, a mind that is worth nothing. And that's the way God describes them. In 2 Corinthians, just for reference in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 15, whose end shall be according to their works. Everybody that God talks about in his scriptures, the end, their end, shall be according to their works, not because of what they say. So the only way a believer has a way of being able to trust another person is to watch their works, not what they're saying. Salesmen in every field have learned to say the right thing. It's what gets me on my TV. They talk about, you need to get what you deserve. I hate that word. Lawyers are using it a lot to try to get you to bite. And God says what we deserve is hell. Every one of us does. Because on our own, we're not able to come anywhere close to him. He has to make the first step, and we have to believe what he did. The word judge or or assess somebody else's character or inclinations, like it said in the other scripture, is to condemn or call to question or think something about somebody else to whether or not they are godly or carnal or fleshly. That's the whole thing about judges. Now, what I learned a long, long time, because this thing has been thrown around, there's a lot of people throwing this thing. Judge not. And that doesn't work the way they use it. To judge someone else is to make a statement about what that person has going on in their mind. Because that is the one thing that you can't always tell about another person. Well, I'll tell you why he did this. It's because he was thinking so and so and so and so. We say that all the time. That is judging. So until you go to speaking for somebody else as far as what's going on in their mind, you're really not judging. And we'll look and see what conscience has at play about that part in a little bit. They don't have a good conscience, their consciences are defiled. That's another group he's talking about. In 1 Timothy, if you want to turn over, turn back to your left, just a couple of pages, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Let's see. Now this, well, let's go to verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit is telling us in the latter days, that's what most people say we're in now. We were certainly latter, more latter than yesterday was. But in the latter days, people shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, they'll start listening to what Satan is saying instead of what Jesus is saying. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Do you know what that means? I don't know how many of you have ever done any branding, but if you put a branding iron on a cow's hip, when you first touch her is when she hollers and jumps. As longer than you hold it there. She doesn't move because you have just cauterized the nerve endings that send the impulse to the brain that she's in pain. So what he says here, he's using this example. I mean, we used to have things with sore-footed horses. We'd take a frying pan, put it in a fire, and get it so hot that you could drop uh, turpentine in it and just as soon as it cools off enough to wear it, the turpentine won't flame up, you pour about a quarter inch in the bottom of that frying pan, set that horse's foot over in it, and leave it there for a bit, pick his other foot up, and let him stand there. He won't move for just a moment, because it'll kill the nerve endings in his foot, and when you take his foot out of the frying pan, he'd walk just as good as he ever did, because he's not hurt. That's the kind of expression that Jesus knew when he taught this that people would understand. He says their consciences have been seared with a hot iron until they have no more feeling in them. So that's these people that he's talking about. And this day they're forbidden to marry and commanded to abstain from eating meats. Now that's the reason I say that I pay no attention whatsoever to this global warming message. According to this, it's from Satan. It's not from Jesus. That They say that there's no need to marry. In 2019, marriages were down 45% in this country. And they talk about not eating meat because, you know, the cows, all the cows' uh, waste gases are destroying ozone layer. And what they don't realize is there was more buffalo before cows than there are cows now. And so that's all something that people in politics have used to try to get your money away from you and scare you to death. God doesn't say anything about it in his word except for that right there. So their conscience has been seared with a hot iron so they don't have any feeling in their conscience. You see people, see other people hurting and you notice the expression on their face means they're hurting too. These people can't do that. They could care less. And that's the reason they can stand on our TV and lie to us like you wouldn't believe. They don't care. In Ephesians chapter 4, If you turn back a few more pages. And verse 17. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus in this letter, and he's saying to them, This I say, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. What he's saying to us as Christians, you can't walk like your unbelieving brothers that walk around you every day. They use their mind to make their decisions. The vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their mind because their mind... I've had people tell me, well, you know, my grandmother used to say that God gave us all the brain he expected us to use it. No, that's not what he said. He said he gave us all the brain that wasn't in account. You better use his brain. That's what he actually says. So he says that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They make their own decisions about what they do having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, this is unbelievers, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, nobody is guilty of their own ignorance. Ignorance is a perfect word for describing someone who does not know something. But the other term, because of the blindness of their heart, ignorance is innocence. Blindness of their heart is choosing not to listen, to learn anything. So they're in charge of that. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't live like God wants them to because they're ignorant of how they're supposed to live like he wants them to. But they're ignorant because they close their mind and they won't listen. To live like God wants them to live. So that's the reason they're alienated from him. Who being past feeling have given themselves over under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now look at that. That's a pretty good description. They're, they're past feeling. They don't care. They don't have any sympathy. They don't have any conscience. Or if they do, it's not working into lasciviousness. That work that word means to live easy and to be involved with lewdness, moral uh, uncleanliness. So they're past feeling, they don't care anymore. You can talk to them about Jesus and they can laugh at you and turn around and walk off. And we have that response. Now three ways it witnessing is is, is is accepted in the book of Acts. Number one is, oh, I like that. I think I want to be a part of Jesus' Christian group. Number two is, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to think about it, and I'll get back with you. And the third way they accepted a witness from Jesus was stoning him with stones till he dies. Now, that's the way people accept it. Of course they don't stone people now but I mean the way they look at you they could kill you if they could get by with it. So it says in verse 20 but you've not learned that with Christ. No. If you have Christ you're not like he just described this person. But he described them pretty good. Their conscience no longer convicts them. Doesn't work. You remember in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees brought Jesus, a woman who had been caught in adultery and threw threw her down at his feet. You remember that? And he squatted down and he was writing in the dust with his finger. And they are telling him that she's been caught in the act. And he looked up and said, Ye who are without sin cast the first stone. And it said they, the Pharisees, being convicted by their own consciences left one by one. So that is a situation. Jesus worked on our conscience. Over and over it tells about how he did. He would make a statement that your conscience would not let you be a part of what you fixed to do. So she looks up apparently and says, well now what, is, what am I supposed to happen to me? Just him and her standing there then after that. And he said, where are your accusers? Because you see back in the scriptures, it says if you don't have somebody accuse you of a crime, can't nobody try you for it. So everybody that came up there and accused her of being caught in adultery were gone. So he says, go and sin no more. But he appealed to their confidence consciences because it says they left from the oldest to the youngest the old one got got the message before the young guys did that what I thought was interesting one of the consciences responsibilities is conviction is to convict you of your sin that is in a Christian con- conscience because the Holy Spirit, has given, been given that responsibility also. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 19, Some, having put away their conscience concerning faith, have made their conscience shipwreck. In other words, Paul says, Some who wanted to believe, and the conscience was encouraging them to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, They have argued with their conscience. They put their conscience back and out-argued it and shipwrecked their whole conscience. So it doesn't work anymore for them. It doesn't keep them out of trouble like yours and mine does, does me and you. So how do people get a conscience? I sat and studied about that for a long time probably most of us got our conscience as barely being able to hear and understand the discipline of our parents. They told us how to think, they were in control of us, and we didn't have any choice. And if we chose not to listen to them, then most of them in those days heated up the seat of our breeches. And so you chose to believe the same thing they did because they had authority to make you do it. Some, by reasoning, you think about something until you decide what is right. You argue, if you will, with your own mind to decide what is the right thing that I should choose to do. And you argue with yourself and others in your life as you get older. You're not four years old, five, six years old. And your conscience is still being formed by your parents or your guardians, whoever they happen to be. And then as you get older, you discuss with other people about things that are right. And what you ought to believe about this. I asked a man yesterday. We've got a lot of people on the ballot this time, and I am really making a concerted effort to see if I can check out everybody, find out what is the truth about everybody. And I'm talking with people about who's right because I assume you're going to vote for somebody you think is right. I'm going to vote for somebody I think is right. So what's right? because they've got some bad stuff pulled up on just about everybody. So they asked me the next question then, well, what about all this bad press they're getting? Well, it's about stuff that people have pulled up years ago. I don't know whether it happened or not. So what I guess I'll have to do is, like Daddy said, you'll vote for the least guilty one in the bunch. And that's where we are. Christians are convinced by their by the holy spirit what their conscience is supposed to believe is right and wrong. And some as we said get their particular conscience you may have gotten your conscience by having it established with child training and discipline or you accept the conscience of whoever happened to be raising you at the time and said and told you this is right. And you base your idea of whether it's right or not probably on what you think of the person who told you that it was right. And sometimes you find out they were wrong too. And later, as we became Christians and got to be a little older, We read in Peter, I mean in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, that we're to try every spirit that comes in front of our mind to see which ones are of God. So that's the way it works after we become a Christian. The Holy Spirit takes on the responsibility of trying to give us the kind of conscience God wants us to have. And what we do, If we hear something and we're not quite sure whether it's truth or not, we ask God. And God has guaranteed us to tell us whether it's true or not when we ask him. So if you will please turn to Romans chapter 2. We'll look at another part of of this, this question that we've got about exactly what that conscience is. Romans chapter 2 verse 13 Listen to what God says or what Paul says here concerning God's instruction. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, so not just the people who have heard what to do right by the law, the 10 commandments in the Bible it's not just the people who heard about it, but the people who do it. That's what it goes back to what I said a while ago. It's not enough to hear about it. But the doers of the law are the people who shall be justified. Those who do right are the ones that God is going to say are good people. Now, we'll take that verse, verse 13. There are those that hear the law and can answer with it. Don't you know that the Bible says you're not supposed to steal? And people say, oh yeah, I know that. You say, well then why did you do it? (laughs) So you see, it's not the people who can answer you and tell you what the Bible says is right and what's wrong. It's the ones that do it, that God honors. Because there's a bunch of people around they can answer you what the Bible says. They know enough about the Bible to tell you what the Bible says and they'll agree, oh yes, that's what it says. But then when you watch them, they don't live it. And that's what we said earlier. They know what the Bible says, they just don't choose to live that way. There's a lot of them in Washington that way. I've picked out some of them too. And verse 14. For when the Gentiles, that's us, not Jews, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, the law wasn't given to the to the Gentiles, it was given to the Jews. So it says, when the Gentiles, which don't have the law, do by nature, their nature, in other words, the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. You see what that says? That right there is the greatest testimony testifying for discipline, self-discipline that there was in the scripture. It says that when Gentiles who weren't raised on Moses' law like the Jews were, when the Gentiles who don't have the law, never heard the law, but know how to do right, God honors them because what they're living by is a set of rules that they created for themselves on their insides. They've got a conscience that won't let them do things. And they built their conscience where when their conscience says, hey, you ought not to do this, they say, okay, and they quit. They listen to it. They mind their conscience. they are those who know what to do. But we observe them and we find out that they're not doing what they know to do. They'll agree that that's right, but they won't do it themselves. And verse 14. They discipline or rule themselves by doing the right thing. They do the right thing because they've decided that that is the right thing to do. Their conscience is keeping them doing the right thing. And they won't go against their conscience. They obey a good conscience. Paul says, My conscience is clear before God. You've heard that expression. My conscience is clear about this. It's what one of those that that, that judge Jesus. said, My conscience is clear of this. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And that's what they're talking about. Their conscience has told them this is not the thing to do, so they're not having anything to do with it. And they say, my conscience has, has, has rebuked me, and I'm not going to have anything to do with this. So my conscience is clear. I've minded my conscience, I've done what it told me to do, and I think I'm right. It's bearing a witness to the good that they do their conscience is agreeing with them that you did the right thing. And they feel good about it. They don't feel any guilt. And so they don't take on a guilty look. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness with them and their thoughts bearing witness also. The meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, see, that creates a real neat picture for me. They're talking about people whose consciences, they're all different. There's not two consciences in this room, it's the same. We all got different ideas about what's right and wrong. But it says, the conscience also bearing witness that a person has done what the conscience told him to do, and their mind decided what was the right thing to do. And so what are they doing? They're standing there together, and those that think that the thing that they're supposed to do is right are excusing the person that they've just convicted. And the people that think it's wrong are accusing them. So you see, when you get an issue before a group of people like you, and you stand a person there, and he's being convicted of something, there's some of you think what he did was okay. Some of you think what he did is not okay. And that's what we do we listen to our conscience and we say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And then somebody else said, oh, they ought not do that. Well, see, that's what the 14th chapter of Romans is all about. God says, when your conscience is clear and you know that you have not done anything to offend God, that you've been right in your decisions, and there's some over here whose consciences are not quite mature yet. They don't understand. So don't you, whose conscience is clear, rub what you're doing in their face because they don't know any better. So we've got to be very careful about each other. And if your conscience is clear about something and you say that and you notice somebody's having a problem with it, you need to get quieter. (laughs) You don't need to stand there and argue about it because you know that they're not quite where you are yet. And that's the way we respect each other as Christians. and a few pages over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 2. Now here's Paul. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Paul and Silas had come to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. There was a temple in that town. And so Paul, verse 2, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of Scriptures. Paul took the Scriptures into the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with people who were in the temple. Verse 3, opening and alleging, he brought the subject up and then attempted to prove that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He was explaining to the Jews in the temple at Thessalonica that Christ had to die and that this Jesus that they killed was the Christ. That's what he's reasoning with them about. He said, what you guys need to understand is the Messiah that everybody's been looking for has already come. And he came, and you guys killed him. And he had to do that. It was God that told him he had to do that. But that was who, he was the Christ, and y'all killed him. He rose again on the third day, and he walked the streets for 40 days before he went up into heaven. And he's reasoning with them. He's trying to convince them of a fact that he knows to be true and they hadn't got it figured out yet. Now look at verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. So there was a lot of Greeks that believed in their witness. There were a lot of women that were converted by his preaching. Verse 5, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, and they took out and started trouble. So you see, that's the way it was accepted. Some of the Jews didn't believe them. But a lot of women did, and a lot of Greeks did. So that's the way Paul was building their conscience, by reasoning with them the truth. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. we got one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 9. And verse 14. Hebrews 9 and 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, to God. Christ without spot. That means he was sinless. Through the Holy Spirit that indwelled him, he offered his body up. He he was willing to go to the cross because of the Holy Spirit that was willing and willing to die. That's describing Jesus. Now look at what he did. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He cleansed our conscience. He went to the cross, suffered and died for us, rose on the third day and now sits in heaven at the right hand of God on a throne interceding for us with God and the Holy Spirit up there to work with Him. To see that everything that God says we're supposed to have, we have. He's Speaking for us. But look what it says. He is in the business, Jesus is in the business, through the Holy Spirit that lives in us to clean up our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now what that means is this. There are things... Salvation is free. We get that for nothing. The rewards we get in heaven for living like a Christian, they come out of effort. you got to live like a Christian and do good works in order to get rewards. Your status in heaven, everybody's not going to be the same in heaven, and your status in heaven is going to depend on how much work you did for Jesus after you were a Christian down here. Now, dead works are those things that we do that we say we're doing them for God and Jesus never had anything to do with We go around and decide what Jesus would like and we choose to do it. So Jesus is trying to clean our conscience up to keep us from doing a bunch of stuff that he never called us to do that's religious, Is involved in the churches and trying to impress everybody and whatever, to serving God. What do you do when you serve God? You do what he's telling you to do. You go talk to the person he told you to go talk to. You don't make up your mind who you're going to try to witness to. You wait till he leads you to a person. So dead works is all the stuff that we do that you're not going to get a reward for because Jesus never told you to do it. And so many people are all involved in all of that kind of stuff, and we wear ourselves out trying to impress Jesus doing things that Jesus never told us to do. And that's what the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is trying to take the Holy Spirit and clean us up and get us to doing the things that he tells us to do rather than anything we think is going to impress him. And that's the way we are. That's us. Always trying to impress people. Always competing with somebody else about who's closer to God than we are. We do that. That's our natural man. And he's trying to clean us up from that. But I want to finish with this scripture today. And God gave it to me after I'd already written a sermon. And it plainly says all the stuff that we've been talking about is in James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see what that says? If you know you're supposed to do something, and you don't do it, that's sin. God calls that sin. So, for the first time, with all the stuff that we've been accused of doing that was sinful, for the first time I found a place where you get called to sin because of something you didn't do. (laughs) So, who tells you you're supposed to do it? The Holy Spirit. Is the conscience vile? I think so. The Holy Spirit tells the conscience, this is what you're supposed to do. And the conscience tells you this is what you're supposed to do. And then you don't do it. God calls that sin. So that probably encapsulates everything just about we've talked about. Now I'm not through with this. There is a lot more to be said about our conscience. But that, I think, is a basic understanding of what we're dealing with with a conscience. Now, the people who don't have Jesus, have a conscience? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had one before I knew Jesus because Mama tore me up every time I did something wrong and I had a whole list of things that was wrong that I got spanked for because I did. She even spanked me for some things I should have known better than to do. That's what she said. You should have known better to do that. We don't spank children for knowing better. We should have known better what to do. You don't spank children for doing wrong. You spank children for disobedience. That's the only commandment they have. If they got to do what their mama and daddy say, and grown ups, other people in authority over them, they've got to be obedient. If we tell them to do something and they do it and it's wrong, we get to suffer. They don't get spanked, we get it. We may spank them for it, but God's gonna spank us too. I believe that with all my heart. So you've got to decide what's right for a person to do. And then you convince them of that. Because there's a special place, and that's where I stand up here. There's a special place that God has for people who mislead other people, who tell them that something's right when it's not. Everybody that stands in front of people as a group or one-on-one, if you give somebody bad advice, God is going to hold you responsible for it. Something that is against him. So that's kind of the way our conscience works. Uh, it's there. And like I said, I don't know if that person that told me that he had never felt guilty in his life had a conscience or not. I don't know that. But I know that people who do not have Jesus have conscience. It's a lot different than Jesus's people's conscience is because it hasn't had the Holy Spirit to teach it. But they have their own rules, like you said a while ago. If we live by a set of rules that are right, well then God rewards us just like we do if we had if He had given us the rule. So there it is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for our conscience, and I thank you for taking the responsibility of our conscience to make it what it ought to be. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.